Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to that Trippy Show. I'm Joe Trippy. Thanks for listening to our first episode. Let me explain what this show is. This isn't a weekly venting session. This isn't a show about the latest polls or the latest episode of The Trump Show, though occasionally we will talk about those things. There are plenty of other shows for that. This show is about how we can beat Donald Trump. This show comes out on Fridays for a reason. We want to look past the opinions and headlines of the week to what really matters. My goal is to show you from the perspective of somebody who's run a presidential campaign, been active in many of them, and also active today in a certain Senate race and a few other races around the country, what I think we should do next. If you click play, you want to beat Donald Trump and Trumpism this November. So let's get to it. Joining me is Alex Ashler, who works with me. Hey, everybody. I'm Alex. I've worked with Joe for about a decade now. I'm reading a lot of the same news stories you, the listeners, are. I have a lot of the same questions you probably do. And I'm here so that Joe can weigh in on those questions. You know, Joe, one of the big stories everyone's talking about this week, again, seems like every week, is Joe Biden has a massive polling lead nationally. One thing we're all worried about is, is this just 2016 all over again? A new poll from the Washington Post out overnight shows a 15-point spread now between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. So a double-digit lead for Joe Biden as we go into the middle of July, again, 15 weeks to the election. Does the president have the credibility to turn things around? Every election since basically the 80s has been really close. And here we are with Biden with a double-digit popular vote lead. I think a bunch of people see a lot of the polls from 2016 with Hillary Clinton with a pretty big lead herself and and are very worried about how that turned out. So should we be preparing ourselves for this to be a lot closer than we think? Well, it could get closer. I mean, they all have in the past. But I also think uh, there's a lot different about this campaign than 2016. First of all, the, the polls were right in 2016. They had her up three, four points, not double digits like like Biden is right now. Uh, But I think this year, first of all, we've got more polling than I've ever seen in these key states. And that's and that's frankly, I think the pollsters fighting the last war. People think they got it wrong. They know they got it right. And they're going to damn it. They're going to prove they got it right this time. We're going to have a zillion polls in places like Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Arizona, all the target battleground states. So I think these polls are real and they're all happening at once. It's not like. They're all over the place. We're seeing these leads at 10, 12, 15 points all happening in the last three or four weeks and, 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 and growing. Um, so I think that's real. But I also think, frankly, what's happened and what's different this time is this, there's a contrast between Joe Biden and, and Donald Trump that people already get. It, it's the contrast between chaos and community, between sort of stumbling, fumbling, and steadiness in terms of leadership, um, particularly on on the coronavirus 
uh, crisis and, and what's happened with the economy. So I, I, as as Trump actually creates more and more chaos, as our times get more chaotic under his presidency, he actually expands that contrast. Contrast makes it you know starker between the steadiness of Joe Biden and himself. That's why this thing is moving away from him. The problem he's got is how does he change that contrast? And what he seems to be trying to do um, is to say, hey, Biden is going to, the thundering hordes from the cities are going to come to your suburbs and, and, and uh, destroy your way of life, and there will be no law and order. You elect him, you're going to have more chaos than me. I'm not sure voters buy that. I don't think they'll ever buy that about Joe Biden. Um, and so how do you change this dynamic? I'm not sure it's possible for Trump. And, and that's what would have to happen for this to close close enough to put Trump back in the game. Now, I'm not saying he can't do that, but I don't believe this current path that he's on, uh, you know, trying to trying to scare people uh, into thinking that Joe Biden will be more chaotic than him. That's going to that's a high bar. It, that's what I think this has been the entire time. I think it's why Joe Biden sustained so well all the way through the primaries with little money, little no selfie lines. He represented the contrast that people see and want and and move towards in reaction to Donald Trump. And that's what's driving these numbers. Joe, looking at some of these national poll numbers again, it, it seems like I know you always say we can't really trust some of those head to heads. But what should we be looking at in, in some of these national polls? Yeah, I don't look at the head to head at all. Uh, uh, I mean, it, it, you know, it, 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 it tells you something. But what really you have to look at is underneath, uh, get underneath the hood, look at the numbers. When you start seeing, um, you know, the number of people who say when, when asked if they trust Donald Trump, uh, it's like in Quinnipiac, I think it was something like 31 said yes, 66 percent, 67 percent said no. I mean, when you get trust numbers that are going uh, that they have you in the low 30s, it's hard to get to 50 um, unless you get people to trust the other guy even less. Um, and again, that's tough with Joe Biden. He's a known entity. People feel like they know him and like him. Um, so these are and when you've run your numbers down so low, it's it's pretty hard to drive someone else's this low. That's the problem Trump has, not just there, but like a law and order. He's out there trying to scare people about the thundering hordes that are going to come out of the cities to get them. And when you ask the question, the pollsters ask them, who do you trust more on law and order? Guess who leads? Biden. Not by, you know, the, the same number on trust, but a significant number and over 50 percent. The only way out is to try to make people think Biden's more chaotic than him or, uh, you know, get them to think um, that he's less trustworthy than Trump. We've got a president who's lied 20,000 times. Um, uh, so how's it's just this is the part of the hole that he's dug over the three and a half years. I've never quite seen anything like this. It, I mean, you see things like this after eight years of a, of a presidency small glimmers of some of this. This guy got here in three years, three and a half years. Um, and I'm not here saying Joe Biden's going to win this thing. I'm just saying that the hurdles, and one, much rather be Biden than Trump right now, two, um, that the hurdles that Trump has to get over make me, you know, look, this is going to be one of the ugliest, meanest um, elections that we've likely ever seen. 
um, because I'm sure the Trump folks believe that's the only possible path to victory. And, and the bigger part of that is I think the country's already decided two things, that Trump represents chaos and that Biden, in comparison, represents community and steady leadership. It's who Biden is um, and who Trump is. It's that contrast. I don't right. think even $2 billion of TV is going to change that, that, con- that contrast that people already have in their heads. I don't see Trump changing that dynamic. You said earlier one thing that I think a lot of people have been worried about this week, that it could happen again. And I don't think it was necessarily about Trump, but one thing that they they really pointed to in 2016 was this idea that there are a bunch of secret Trump voters out there. And you're starting to see it again when these polls are so bad for him. A lot of his surrogates, a lot of his people are saying, don't forget those people. And I think a lot of us are kind of freaked out. Uh, you know, does that exist? And what the heck does Biden do to attempt to, to combat that if it does? Well, look, there there may be, quote, secret Trump voters out there, but that's like a, you know, and you do see that from time to time in, in different campaigns uh, where somebody outperforms their their uh, number because voters didn't want to um, didn't want to admit in public that they were voting for him or voting against the other guy. That that does occasionally happen, but it's like a two percent thing. I mean, it's we're talking about the difference between fifteen and thirteen, twelve and ten. We're not talking the difference between ten and and Trump's up by two. That's not what we're talking about there. And I and and frankly, uh, in all my time, I can't recall a more voiceless. Uh, fan base uh, in American politics than Trump has. These are people who proudly wear their MAGA hats and, and are not afraid to uh, jump up and 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 stare you down as you walk down the sidewalk. So I'm not sure that any of that pairs up very well, um, that there's a secret like 10 points out there that are somehow going to rise up and, and we'll all be shocked on Election Day. That, frankly, that didn't even really happen in 2016. What happened in 2016 was was the Clinton campaign took their eye off of the three or four off their a disciplined electoral college strategy that Trump was able to slip by them in the three or four states um, that did uh, uh, change the equation. She won the popular vote. You want 270 electoral votes. That's what you go for. You never take your foot off that gas pedal. You pick the states that are going to get you to 270. You add a couple more just for a buffer in case you're wrong about something. And you bust your rear to make sure that happens. If the race turns into a two to three person, a two to three point race, you'll still win with that strategy. You still have a real shot to get to 270 with that strategy. If, on the other hand, the race balloons out on you and you win by 10, trust me, you're going to win that 270 because you put all that effort in. And there'll be another 130 electoral votes to come along with it, because if you win the United States popular vote by 10, 11 points, you're going to win 400. It's going to be a landslide 400 over 400 vote electoral vote victory. Uh, And that's what the Trump people did do with discipline in 2016 that we 
that we didn't. Well, and that's, Joe, exactly what we're kind of worried about with the recent news in Texas. It's kind of like you see Biden putting ad buys in Texas. You see him up by maybe one point in some of these polls. And I think a lot of us are getting PTSD from 2016 and saying, what the hell is he doing in Texas? Well, hey, look, we're a long way out. And, uh, and you know, this could just all be a head fake. We don't know. I mean, first of all, if they can bog Trump down fighting over Texas, uh, this game's over. Um, but it's more likely, and, and, and you know, they, they may actually have a shot at Texas th- this time around. I'm not saying that. But, I, you know, I, I recall, like, in, in uh, 2004 on the Dean campaign, we ran, you know, $100,000 worth of ads in the, in the, I can't remember what market it is, but Crawford, where his, uh, uh, his far, he was on vacation on his farm, on his ranch, and we ran ads uh, going after W, and we ended up raising a million dollars on the $100,000 of ads we ran and gained a lot of momentum against the rest of the field. Now, that was in a primary, but I'm saying you get, you know, a campaign does things for different reasons, and we're 100 days out, and they're not spending a lot in Texas. Um, we'll see if they keep building on that. But, you know, this could just be a head fake or it could be, hey, if we can bait the Trump campaign into spending resources fighting over taxes, uh, uh, that's that's money they can't spend in Michigan and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Florida. You know, you said something about Howard Dean earlier and about the type of race he ran. You say you, you often say it's it was kind of a movement race and there, there was a lot of discussion about kind of the purity of the support. One thing we saw this week that's got kind of a lot of people really pissed in the party is that John Kasich is going to speak at the DNC. Do we know that yet? Yeah, it's real. A former Republican Ohio governor, John Kasich, has been asked to speak at the DNC, the Democratic National Convention, next month. He's a frequent critic of President Donald Trump, and he's expected to speak on behalf of presumptive nominee Joe Biden. And he may not be the only one. The Associated Press reports several high-profile Republicans may join the former vice president. So, Joe, a lot of yeah, people baby. Are, are mad about this. Why are they mad? Why would we want an anti-abortion, anti-gay rights person at speaking at our convention? Well, you know, one thing I have learned over the 40 years uh, that I think is the truest thing I've learned is that politics is about addition, not subtraction. And Donald Trump has spent the entire presidency subtracting away. So much so that Republicans uh, are uh, many uh, high profile Republicans are fleeing the party. Other other Republican voters out there are looking for um, a place to go. They 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 we can yeah, we can push them away or we could welcome them uh, with open arms uh, and realign the country in terms of the politics of the future. I mean, for decades, um, if. If we're the party of inclusion, that, that yes, we can have those debates internally uh, amongst ourselves with them. We can actually, these are people we could actually talk to, work out how we solve our problems, um, not everybody running to their corners, taking up sides, and just, you know, Trumpism versus, uh, you know, and the chaos that we have. So I, I just don't even understand it. As this is about people like Governor Kasich talking to the moderate Republicans out there and saying, here's a place for you to come to. 
This is community. This is steady leadership. Step away from the chaos. Let's solve our problems together. That is a winning mess. It's the message that has driven Joe Biden to the nomination and has gotten him a 12, 10, whatever you want, 8 to 14 point lead, depending on which poll. And we don't want to push those people away. And the purity of this stuff is that's all, look, movement campaigns, the Dean campaign, was, you know, which I ran, were, you know, it was a movement against the war. It was a movement for civil unions. And back then, by the way, civil unions was thought to be disqualifying, uh, even in the Democratic Party in the primary. I mean, that was one of the things they came after us for. No one's going to vote for you. Well, you know, the problem is uh, movement campaigns and and, and and ideological driven purity is not generally those campaigns have trouble broadening out their support and we saw this a little bit with bernie this time um i'm not and and look i i led one or you know was the campaign manager of one for a while um they have they 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 can move the country forward in so many ways but they don't usually win general elections and look i know there's been a there's been always been a huge debate in in on the democratic side of whether we've got to turn out our base and excite it or whether we need to move in, um, uh, and invite people in and, and attract moderate voters on, from the other side. Well, you know, both things. We got to do them both. And if we do both well, we're going to not just win this thing. We'll, we will win a lot of seats that, we, that people aren't expecting us to win. And I think there's a real opportunity here to realign the direction of the country uh, to, uh, you know, yes, not not necessarily as fast as change that you get if you could, you know, uh, get your pure way, but much faster than if we stay in this divided, polarized Trumpism world that we're in today. So I, I still remember where I was when I saw Obama when he was senator's uh, 2004 convention speech. I think he was a state senator at the time, right? Before he became a senator, before he became president, he gave that amazing speech on race at the convention. You know, you don't see a lot of speeches like that at a convention. How much do, how much is this just much ado about nothing? How much do these convention speeches even really matter? They used to matter. I mean, they, you know, floor fights actually mattered. Who actually showed up and what, what was in the platform mattered. But every year it's become, both of them, it's become more programmed, more, you know, kind of scripted. Um, and I think, you know, even the, now with sort of the virtual convention, um, I think the speeches will be shorter. I do think things like having a number of people along the lines of Governor Kasich, uh, you know, basically inviting discontented Republicans uh, to, to, to cross party lines. Uh, that's a powerful thing. Um, and could really make a difference in particularly some of these key swing states where we need a lot of those voters um, to, to, to shore up not just what we do with an energized base, but to bring enough over to have uh, to lock those states in for the Electoral College vote. And it may be uh, critical even in some of the Senate races out there. Um, I think it's great that he'll be um, at the convention uh, or speaking, but I, I think it may be more powerful when he actually campaigns around Ohio or Michigan um, or Pennsylvania or Wisconsin, people like him 
uh, those, you know, those surrogates are pretty rare in American uh, presidential politics. Uh, and so to have someone of his stature out there, if he's willing to campaign, I think that's going to be a big plus for Biden. Well, you mentioned surrogates. Let's talk about maybe the most important one of all of them. I know Biden said something to Joey Reid this week about his short list for vice president, saying that they're going to announce it you know, sometime in the next week, 10 days, somewhere around August 1st. Let's listen. Are you committed to naming a black woman as your vice presidential running mate? I am not committed to naming any but the people I've named, and among them there are four black women. They're the ones, as that old saying goes, that brought me to the dance. I have been loyal, they have been loyal to me. And so it is important that that my administration, I promise you, will look like America. So it looks like we got four black women on the list. Biden didn't name them, but I think we can assume it's four out of the five of Kamala Harris, Val Demings, Susan Rice, Keisha Lance Bottoms, or Karen Bass. Joe, what do you make of that list? And and how would you pick someone off that list or, or whoever the vice president should be? I have no idea who he's going to pick. Um, I know um, that of that group, and they're, they're all great, uh, but I think I'd go with Keisha Lance Bottoms. Um, uh, I think it gets to the whole community steady, steady leadership governance uh, uh, messaging versus Trump. Um, if you think through the whole coronavirus, the, what's been happening with police reform and, 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 and George Floyd and the, and, and the tensions out there, um, as well as just sort of uh, all the how, how we're going to come out of this economically. How do we get those local small businesses going again uh, when we when we do come out of this safely? Every single problem that's really gotten more disruptive over the last three or four months, the place where it had to be dealt with was at the local level. I mean, it, it's been, uh, you know, whether it was the local county, the local county hospital, county leadership, towns, cities, um, they're who uh, are, have had to meet these, these challenges head on um, with very little federal help, by the way. Um, or worse, the Trump administration making it worse. Um, and so I think there's a case for Biden to say that this has to come out of this, to build our economy, to, to come out, to take the COVID crisis head on. It's got to happen with a federal, local partnership. And I want a partner in the White House working with me who's directly been connected to it, fought through these challenges, know what challenges local governments are facing right now, not just the virus, not just the economy, but their own budget problems of having to lay off police and fire because of the money that hasn't come in to them, how much help we need to push into the local. This is about the federal government having the back of local officials and give them the tools and the resources they need to do this. And I want that partner with me. And as mayor of Atlanta, she's been through this. She's handled herself, you know, and and go that route. I think it could be pretty powerful. And it also would be like, I'm not going to do the same old, same old national Washington thing. You're saying that a mayor should be vice president. And by the way, it's not just vice president it's we're assuming she would then be the 
presumptive nominee in whenever Biden's done either 2024 or if he does two terms 2028 we're basically handing the reins to a mayor with no other experience that's what you're saying well i mean i think there's she got more experience than the um the uh the senator who has uh what a staff of 18 that they've managed maybe a staff of 30 now by the way biden may take a total different view of this because he's been a senator he was picked because he was a senator who knew foreign policy etc but he doesn't need a senator who knows foreign policy he's you know who knows who can pick up the phone and call merkel uh he what what we need is somebody who understands how city government, town government, county government works, what those governments are going to need to get the help to people that will get us out, let us open safely, get the economy going again. That's the case I would make, particularly against an incompetent, bumbling federal administration of Trump, uh, which with all the chaos. So I'm just saying, I, th- I think there's a case for why I would pick her. That may be totally different from what they end up doing. In fact, I would predict that. This is one of the reasons people in my party, that's why I'm an outsider in the party, because I think this way. Uh, when a lot of people uh, uh, who are, who the conventional wisdom folks just sometimes don't really want me around. So it works fine with me. Well, you know, Joe, there is one pretty sane reason for picking Mayor Bottoms, and is that Georgia may be on the map, not just for the presidency, but for those Senate races. So I know we always talk about how geography matters less and less, but in this case, she might actually help win Georgia, right? Yeah, no, I think she's one of the the, the few picks where there might be some regional or um, or geographic benefit uh to 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 her being the choice too that would not be why i would pick her i would pick her for the reasons i i laid out but there is the bonus that um if that 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 could energize georgia enough um that that it not only puts those two senate seats actually in play but actually could put the electoral college in play as, as well uh i think georgia is um a very competitive state on its own. I, I mean, I think we can win both those Senate seats. Um, whether we could win the, win the the Electoral College there or whether it's, you know, another four years off or not, I don't know. But I do think uh, that's another plus, you know, put another check mark on why she might be um, a, a, a better pick than, than some of the others. So the one elephant in, or I guess donkey in the room is Elizabeth Warren. And I say that because so many in the party have been clamoring her for so long. Is she the type of person that, obviously I know she's not a woman of color, but is she the type of person that could be additive here or is this more of a do no harm pick? Oh no, I think, look, I think uh, the this has got to be about governance. The pick he makes has to be, I think, about how he's going to govern, um, and and I think Warren um, has strong economic, strong. I mean, particularly in this economic crisis, um, uh, really strong chops. So I could see why uh, he would uh, would go that route. Um, I, that that's the interesting thing about this. It's more how does this person help him govern out of this this is not going to be look winning this thing may be 
the easy part. And I mean, it's going to be tough. All presidential campaigns are tough, but that may be the easy part. The hard part will be somehow getting the country literally to come out of this in one piece with people who are really hurting, particularly by the time the election's over, um, financially, health-wise, otherwise. Governing your way out of that and being effective at it, that's going to be the hard part. And I think that's why I'm more drawn to people like Mayor Bottoms. Uh, uh, I understand Warren for that particular reason. Uh, each of these people comes with with some strengths, but I'm if I'm Biden, I'm picking it on the. And, and by the way, that's why he got picked. Obama picked him for what he would do to help Obama govern. He needed that foreign exp- policy experience. He needed the the guy who knew how stuff worked out there like that. And Biden was it. And they built trust. I think that's the kind of person Biden needs to pick. I wouldn't be stunned if it was Warren at all. Well, I'm going to go watch some baseball. Thanks for listening to That Trippy Show. Starting next week, we'll take questions from listeners. Submit them on iTunes in the review section, and we'll answer our favorites. Please rate us five stars while you're there, and I promise Alex will be sharper next week. Bye. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.